You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual So it's May 28th and if you've been paying attention, you know what that means. Today is the day that Dutton, Division of Penguin, releases my new book, American Savage, Insights, Slights and Fights on Faith, Sex, Love and Politics. I do love my long subtitles. Anyone who's read my other books knows I always have an epic subtitle. Uh, there's lots of great stuff in this book. I'm really proud of it. Uh, there's essays about healthcare and Halloween being the straight pride parade and BDSM and leather fetish events like Folsom in San Francisco and assisted suicide and what it's like as a gay parent when your son comes out to you as straight and how that went down. The book is out now. It's in bookstores now. It's available on Amazon now. There's an audiobook version of it now. It's available on Kindle now. And I would appreciate it if you went and bought it now. And tonight on May 28th at the New York Public Library, I will be in conversation about my new book being interviewed and grilled by my good buddy Andrew Sullivan at the New York Public Library tonight at 7 p.m. in New York City, my favorite place for a honeymoon in a hotel room. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. We're going to actually cut the top of the show short. I'm bad at this self-promotion stuff. If you could see me sort of squirming around in my chair as I talk up my book, I am too Catholic for this self-promotional kind of blathering and not limber enough to give myself a blowjob, which is what this feels like. It feels like trying to suck your own dick. Uh, I would <laughs> rather just get to your calls. Go buy my new book, American Savage, Insights, Slights, and Fights on Faith, Sex, Love, and Politics. And look for me also, in addition to New York City this week, I'm going to be in Portland, Oregon, at Powell's in Washington, D.C., at the W Hotel, the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco, Elliott Bay Books in Seattle, Common Ground Books in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Barnes & Nobles in Madison, Wisconsin, Unabridged Books in Chicago, and more places. Watch for me. I'm going to get around on this book tour. And now I'm going to shut up about my new book. I'll say one thing though. I get asked all the time what it was like having Brian Brown, the head of the National Organization for Marriage, over to dinner. That is the last chapter in the book. We call it Bigot Christmas because that's how it felt because we had to clean the house like it was Christmas. But it wasn't because Santa was coming. It was because a bigot was coming. Bigot Christmas is one of the chapters in this book. If you want to hear Terry's reaction when I told him that Brian Brown was coming to dinner and I hadn't cleared that with him first, you want to read this book. <laughs> Let's just stop with this and get to your calls. Hi, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old, recently single female, and I have a question for you about my flirtatious personality. Um, so I was recently at a bar, and I met a guy who I flirted with for a couple of hours, and at the end of the night, he gave me his business card. A few weeks later, I sent him a sexy story that I wrote, a piece of erotic fiction that starred him and just sent it to him in an email without any explanation or anything in it. So the question is, 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 is that too forward of a move or is that inside the lines of flirting in relationships because I've been called too forward in the past? And I am having a hard time figuring out whether I'm too aggressive or whether this is just fun and flirtatious. So weeks after this stranger that you met in a bar gave you his business card, weeks later, you emailed him erotic fiction that you wrote 
starring him. And you want to know if I think that's too forward of a move. Forward doesn't quite cover it. That's not too forward. That's too fucking batshit of a move. You know, it is a fine thing. We assume when we meet somebody and there's a flirtation that that person is thinking erotic thoughts about us, right? We want them to be thinking erotic thoughts about us and maybe picturing erotic scenarios. But to have that person kind of slink away or, or leave or you part company and you give them the card, then you don't hear from them for weeks. And then weeks later, you get this detailed erotic fiction via email from this person that you've probably written off or forgotten about because it was weeks ago and they never gave you a shout say, hey, let's hang out again. The first message you get from this person is, here's this slash fiction I wrote. A, you know, that person may now be filled with anxiety about your sexual expectations and, and believe that this is some script that they have to follow, that this isn't an erotic, dirty story. This is an assignment. But also that person's going to think, oh, wow, I gave my card to a crazy person. Not that, not that you're a crazy person because you write dirty stories or you write erotic fiction. This is, goes back to what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago with somebody else. What we look for when we flirt, what we look for when we date – I was talking about this with Matisse last week. Good judgment. You don't want to be with somebody who has no sense. Now, I say this is somebody who frequently says of his husband that the only sensible bone in his body is mine. But generally, Terry is pretty smart, right? That's what we want in a partner. We want somebody who, who you know, we're not going to have to wipe their asses for them. And they're not going to do dumb things that will be taken the wrong way by friends and family and relatives and us. And what you what you did when you when you sent him this story is you exposed yourself not as somebody who was thinking dirty thoughts about him. He wanted you to be thinking dirty thoughts about him when he gave you his card, but somebody who has no sense, somebody who doesn't know that you kind of roll these things out slowly, somebody who wouldn't anticipate that this would be received badly, or perhaps panic him and make you think you're some sort of crazy obsessive bunny boiler, right? And that's what that said at that moment. What you do with this impulse to write erotic fiction about somebody, you know, somebody you've just met, somebody you're thinking about, you fucking write it. And then you send him an email sooner than a few weeks later. You send him an email that says, hey, it was really nice to meet you. If you want to hang out sometime, here's my info. Give me a call. And then if you start dating and you start hanging out and you have a sexual relationship and things are going great, you know, six months into it, a year into it, you say, you know, I sometimes write erotic fiction. And here's a funny thing. When we first met, I wrote a dirty story about you. Do you want to see it? And then at that moment, he will realize that, oh, my God, you know, you have this hidden talent. You are a, a woman of depth and mystery, but also a woman with some fucking sense that you waited for him to get to know you before you sent – shared this bunny boiler with him, right? That's how you roll that shit out. I, you don't say to somebody that you've just met, I am fucking obsessed with you in a weird and detailed way. Even though secretly we all kind of want people we've just met that we're attracted to to be kind of obsessed with us in a weird and detailed way. But we want them to have the sense not to let that on right away, not to tell us, not to show us because we want to be with somebody who has some sense and self-control and good judgment. And what you displayed to him in that moment was senseless, no self-control and bad judgment, not because you wrote the story but because your first move was to send him the story instead of holding that in reserve letting him get to know you, establishing a thing with him, having a sexual thing with him and then saying, you know what? I wrote this story about you when we first met. You want to see it? At that point, he would have been like, yeah, oh my god, I want to see that. 
Show me that. I want to know what you were thinking when we first met. Now that we're in a relationship and everything's great, I want to, I want to see that story. He did not want to see that story when you guys hadn't even had a date yet, when you hadn't even had a contact after that first initial contact. So my advice to you in the future, write every goddamn dirty story you want to. Share them with strangers online. Share them with your friends. Don't share them with the target of your erotic desire until a relationship is established. And then you can roll it out in a way that says, look, I'm horny and sexy, but also I have good judgment. Hey, Dan, 27-year-old straight male here. I briefly had a long-distance relationship with this girl from across the country. She found my OkCupid profile after expanding her search radius, and we started talking and hit it off. After a few weeks, when the discussion of the visit came up, she became very defensive and accused me of only wanting to visit her to get laid. I tried to reassure her that if I wanted to get laid, I could do it for a lot less money, effort, and time away from home than a cross-country plane ticket, and if we didn't have sex on my trip, that was fine with me. I got there, we had a great time, and a few nights into my trip, we had sex. We also had a serious heart-to-heart that realistically, she was in grad school and I was working, and when I returned home, we couldn't be on the phone every day for as long as we had been leading up to my trip. She said something to the effect of, I agree, and it makes us both frustrated when we put our lives on hold to talk for so long, but I can't go backwards in a relationship, so we have to keep talking a lot or I'm going to feel like you just used me for sex. She put the onus on figuring out how to make it work entirely on me. When I got back home, it was in the midst of tax season, and I was literally pulling 14-hour days just to try to get all my shit in order. She would call throughout the day and get angry when I told her I didn't have time to talk. I tried to respect her needs and talk to her for about an hour or so each day at the expense of my work and sanity. Eventually, it got to be too much, and I broke up with her. The backlash was incredible. Her affection turned into hatred, and she began blogging about how I had used her for sex. She also made fun of me for being friends with my other exes, as if anything but hating them is grossly abnormal. Being a lifelong student of yours, Dan, I gave her the space to be angry and understood that hating me was what she needed to do to deal with her hurt. A few days ago, she reached out to me and sent me a text telling me how hurt she was and how much she missed me. I foolishly responded and told her I was deeply sorry to have hurt her and I am hurt that she is hurting. She lashed out about how she doesn't need my pity and that was the end of the conversation. Now she's digitally stalking me. I haven't been replying to her anymore, but what do I do? Just let her lash out at me? Try to explain that her disrespect for my being under the gun at work turned me off? That I didn't fly across the country and spend hundreds of dollars just to break her for my own amusement? I'm honestly sad and upset that she is so deeply hurt. You got the condensed version. There are many times after my visit, including a a three-and-a-half-hour phone conversation, where I expressed that by smothering me and demanding my attention as much as she was, she was pushing me away. And yet in none of her blog posts, texts, or digital messages has she acknowledged any responsibility for the end of this relationship. The only reason she cited is that I wanted to get my dick wet and I saw her as a vulnerable target. That's not me at all, Dan, and I don't know what to do. You could block her on Twitter. You might want to do that. You could stop reading her blog. You might want to stop going there. You're not obligated to go read the bitter rantings of this batshit ex, not quite a girlfriend of yours. Uh, So stop reading her blog and block her on Twitter and move the fuck on. Clearly, you know, her standards are so high, her expectations are so high that this was headed for disaster and a detachment and a breakup anyway. Like you can't spend three and a half hours on the phone with somebody every day. Um, 
it's just a coincidence that it should happen to have happened after your visit and taxis and da, da, da. And if she can't wrap her head around that, then fuck her and you're well rid of her. And you just have to roll with the fact that there are going to be people out there you know, in your adult life who are mad at you perhaps for their own reasons. She clearly was engaged in a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy here, you know, laying out how it would end and I think she's more in love with – her fury and her rage and her anger than she ever was in love with you and she's getting kind of what she wanted out of this relationship, which was, was to be wronged and to have someone to be furious at and angry with. And you are that guy. You are the fall guy. You are the patsy. And unfortunately, you can't not play that role. You can't escape it. So you just don't pay attention to it. Like I said, why are you, you, you complain about how she writes about you on her blog. Why are you reading her blog? Do not read her blog. Do not read her tweets. Ignore her completely. Do not give her the negative attention that she wants. Give her nothing and be glad. Count your lucky fucking stars that she is hundreds of miles in a flight away from you. She's not in your social circle. She's not in your city. She may be out there attempting to blacken your name. But you know what? There are lots of people out there doing that to me. And you know what I do? I just don't read their fucking blogs. Take a tip from your old friend Dan. You don't have to read every tweet about you. You really don't. You don't have to read every blog post about you. You really don't. So move the fuck on. Go. Get out of the house. Go date somebody else. Read a book. Maybe American Savage. Do something else. Think about something else. Good luck. Hey, Dan. I'm a straight 24-year-old female living in the Midwest. I was out tonight with some friends. I have a boyfriend. He wasn't there. This guy was there. He was just like kind of jerk guy, you know, thought he was a hot shot because he was a lawyer or whatever. And um, and I was talking with him, not flirting or anything. So I get up to sing karaoke at this place. He, like, definitely touched my ass. Not cool. Totally grossed out by this guy. Not interested at all. He touched my ass. I just went up saying my karaoke or whatever. So what am I supposed to do in this situation? How... Do I somehow, like, it's not okay with me he did that. And yet I don't want to make, like, some huge deal and say, oh, you're really disrespectful. I mean, that wasn't the only disrespectful thing that he did that night. There were other instances of, like, slightly inappropriate touching and comments and things like that. And I just, I don't really understand how to, I guess, defend myself against men who are doing slightly inappropriate things and how how to do it in a graceful way. I mean, I if, if going up and slapping the guy is the best way to do it, okay, fine. I'll do that. Just let me know. But I, there's probably more socially appropriate ways in the situation where there's some way to say something or do something that's not going to like make the entire evening really awkward with everyone there. I don't know. Well, what's a girl to do when a guy is being a jerk? I realize that the dynamic you've described is typically men doing this shit to women. Uh, but I kind of want to like complicate it a little bit because I've been on the receiving end of this kind of attention. You know when I was younger and hotter. I've been on the receiving end of this kind of attention where some like asshole is kind of putting the move on you in these subtle ways, touching in inappropriate ways and relying on your – reluctance to make a scene and ruin the fun for everybody, right, by, you know, shutting down the music and screaming and yelling, having a confrontation, making everyone feel awkward, relying on that desire of yours to keep the good time rolling 
to prevent you from really standing up to them. You know, so it's a kind of coercive this behavior. They they know they've kind of got you a little bit cornered because they're they're using that impulse of yours not to ruin the fun for everybody against you and to access your body to touch you, knowing that they're exploiting your desire, your good impulse to be you know easy for everybody and keep the the, the good time going. And so, what do you do at that moment? Well, you really have only two choices. One is the full on confrontation. Hand on the chest, shove them away, scream and yell, get in their face, look to your friends, enlist them in that moment so that person knows that you back up and kind of derail the good time for everybody and queer the mood for everybody because one guy was being a gropey jerk, right? And then there's deflect. That's your only other option, confrontation or deflection where you're kind of like, ha, 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 and taking his hand off your ass and ha, 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 and making sure, you know, going to a friend and saying, don't let that guy stand next to me. That guy's like after me and I'm not into him. So when you see him coming to me, I need you to get in between us and sort of enlisting other people in this desire to to, to deflect the attentions of the jerk without derailing the evening for everybody. And I've done both. I've been in situations – I've seen my husband you know, recently in situations where he had to make a choice between confrontation and shoving the asshole across the room and deflection. You know, come to think of it, this happened to me very recently. I was out to drinks, out for drinks with friends, friend's birthday party at a gay bar in Seattle, out for drinks with my husband and, and, and our friends. And uh, some guy was like kept coming around and standing right behind me. And I knew he was there and he was being really creepy and I thought, am I going to get stabbed? And, I, and then everybody else realized what was going on and one of our friends went and got a bouncer and had the guy tossed. And I didn't say anything. I was deflecting. I was sort of turning, turning, turning so he, I would not have to make eye contact with him. I didn't want to engage. He seemed creepy and crazy. Uh, and was behaving really inappropriately and so he got his, his ass tossed. And that was an option for you too. You could go to your friend. You could go to a bouncer and say, that guy is touching me and I don't want him touching me and they, somebody else could have the confrontation combo with him. And we have to remember that we put ourselves in certain situations to invite attention. Decent people don't hit on each other at work. Decent people don't hit each other on the bus or on the street. You leave people alone. Only indecent assholes hit on people in public places where they are not welcoming that attention. When we go out, when we go to singles bars, karaoke bars, pick up joints, not just like have a drink in the back with your friends but like places where people socialize and you go because there's an expectation. Maybe you'll meet somebody. In those circumstances, we're kind of welcoming a little attention, maybe even sometimes a little bit of – aggressive attention and it is on us if we are the the focus of that attention to make it clear to that person that it's not welcome and they're barking up the wrong tree so they can move on to somebody else. And if we are the person doing that, if we're approaching somebody, that if we get the sense that they don't want it, if we are deflected, that we fucking deflect and go the fuck away, which is not to like blame you for this. But if you were in a place where it's a bit like a free fire zone where you go to this place, you go to a gay bar, you go to a straight singles pickup joint, you go to a, you know, an event where people are drinking and flirting and this environment is that space you go into when you welcome a certain degree of attention. Yes, you may approach. That's what you're saying when you go to a gay bar, right? A gay pickup joint. But yes, you may approach me. I'm here because I might be down with it. And then somebody approaches you, you can't freak out when somebody approaches you in a situation like that. If somebody approaches you in a situation like that in an appropriate way, in a respectful way and you're not into it and you deflect and they leave, great. Somebody approaches you that way in a coercive way where they're touching you and not saying anything and being really weird and humpy, that's where you get to that confront, deflect thing. I just don't want to pathologize all approaches. You know, if somebody comes up and hits in you in a bar that you really want to fuck, nobody feels like something inappropriate happened. If somebody that you're really into comes up to you on the dance floor and starts grinding against you and you've been staring at them all night, nobody's like, oh my god, you were solid. 
It's when somebody does it that you don't want doing it and they don't take the hint and they don't stop when you tell them to stop that you're being assaulted. You're being coerced in that situation. That's that problem of that person leveraging your desire not to derail everyone good time against your desire to protect your bodily integrity. And what do you do at that moment? I would be actually interested to hear other people's strategies. If this has happened to you where somebody is leveraging your desire not to derail everyone's good time so that they can coercively touch your body and hit on you and hump your leg in a way that you don't want them to be doing, what's your strategy? Do you confront or do you deflect? My strategy in those circumstances has been to deflect and not confront. But I am unlikely to be a rape target in a situation like that. That person is unlikely to follow me to my car or escalate because I am a man and I am a tall man and that has certain privileges, which is that I don't have to live in constant fear of sexual assault. And so a woman in that situation might be better off confronting than deflecting. But I have always chosen to deflect. What have you chosen? Give us a call. Let us know. 206-201-2720. Hey, Dan. I'm a 33-year-old straight male. And like many 33-year-old straight males, I am losing my hair a bit. I talked to my doctor about some potential options and he mentioned finasteride, uh, which is also called Propecia. And he actually didn't mention any side effects, but when I started doing some research, it sounds like there are some side effects like potential loss of sexual appetite and ED. I feel like bringing down my sexual appetite a little bit would probably be okay, as I have probably a little bit higher success than my partner, but I certainly would not want to have ED. It seems like these things uh, go away if you stop taking it, if you do have some of the side effects, but... Uh, I just wasn't sure how prevalent those things are. It's hard to see a bunch of different statistics online and would love your or one of your physician guests take on that. Thanks so much. I don't know much more about this than you do. I went to the Google and I put Propecia and erectile dysfunction in and I've heard about this. I've read about this in the past and what you – what pops right the fuck up is pretty scary, not just – Lower libido and ED while you're using Propecia but permanent erectile dysfunction even after you've stopped using Propecia. Researchers from George Washington University reported in the Journal of Sexual Medicine that Propecia, popular hair loss medication for male pattern baldness, blah, blah, blah. People can't get boners anymore. If it were me and it was the certainty of losing my hair versus even the tiniest possible chance of losing my boner forever, I would lose my fucking hair. Pick your hair or your boner. Boners, right? I would go with boners. Sexual dysfunction seems to be a side effect. There is a class action lawsuit making its way through the courts from people whose dicks have been destroyed, they claim, by this drug and its side effects. Shave your head, embrace your baldness. Love your body, love your bald fucking head, be Picard or whatever and keep your boner. Don't gamble with your boner. That would be my position if I were losing my hair, which I'm not. So maybe it's easy for me to say that if you gave me like a slot machine and you said you can pull this lever and you might win hair or you might lose your boner, just a small chance, no boner is ever gone for you. I would not play that slot machine. Good luck. Hi, Dan and the Tech Savvy At-Risk Youth. I'm a 22-year-old gay guy on the West Coast, and I've been dating a really awesome guy for the past few months, and things have been going really well for us. Things are starting to get serious. 
The problem is I used to be a heroin addict for a few years. Um, throughout high school, I was doing a lot of drugs, and in general, I was a pretty stupid person. And it was very difficult for me. And fortunately, I was able to quit all drugs entirely a bit over two years ago. And I was lucky and didn't get any diseases or an arrest record or anything like that. So ever since I quit, my life has been really well. I've gotten a great job and I'm about to graduate college. This has been a secret that I didn't really feel the need to tell him about at first, but now that things are getting more serious, it's been getting more difficult to tell him. He told me recently that he would never date someone who used drugs in the past, not even a single time. And it's made me feel really, really bad. He told me that he thinks people who've used drugs, even once are damaged goods, and he wouldn't be interested in dating them. I've asked my friends what to do, and their answers have been all over the place. And I usually think keeping secrets can be destructive, but in this case, I don't know what to do, and I'd really appreciate your advice. So I called this guy back uh, to ask a couple follow-up questions. He was at work. He really couldn't talk. But what I wanted to know was these friends that he mentions talking with, do they know that he used to have a heroin problem? Does he have family that knows that he used to have a heroin problem? And you know, all credit to him. He overcame it. It sounds like he really put his life together. He learned a lot about himself. Great job, college. Like this is not a guy with a drug problem anymore. But there are all these people in his life who know about his past drug problem. You can't live – Sir, now I'm addressing you. You can't live with that kind of sort of Damocles hanging over your head. Say you do not disclose this information to your drug phobic boyfriend who sounds a little crazy. You say he's awesome. I'm going to take your word for it. But you know, anybody who's in their 20s who's gay who has a I would never date anyone who's ever used any drug ever, whatever drug ever, is really limiting his options because there aren't a lot of people out there gay or straight who haven't at least smoked pot, right? Now there's a difference in degree between – Smoking pot, experimenting with pot and having a heroin addiction. But still, the rule you laid out was he would never date anybody who would used any drugs ever. Good luck to him finding that person. Now, you not disclosing to him and allowing this relationship to continue to grow, that just constantly raises the stakes. This is the thing with disclosure where you're talking about you know, laying your kink cards on the table, talking about whether you know, you're dating somebody and you haven't told them that you used to do sex work or as I sometimes get letters, are still doing sex work or your pause, right? That the longer you wait to disclose these things, the higher the stakes. The more invested you become in the relationship, the higher the stakes. And for that person that you did not disclose to, the greater the sense of betrayal and the feeling of having been wronged and misled and lied to if your disclosure isn't prompt. You know, you have to strike this balance between letting a person get to know you a little bit before disclosing something that some people may thoughtlessly and impulsively judge you for without really balancing it, you know, weighing it against the person they know you to be. That's why I think it's fine sometimes in some cases to date somebody without like laying it all out on the table right away, things that they might react badly to or, or – or, Judge you for unfairly. You have no right to put anybody else at any risk. People have a right to informed consent when they're sexually active. So if you are paused, if you are doing sex work, I think your partners have a right to know that before the sex begins. But waiting to roll those things out a little bit because you've been judged unfairly or could be because of these cultural prejudices, I think that is fair. That is fair. 
You know, if you had told him on your first date, oh, by the way, full disclosure, I used to have a heroin problem, he would have left immediately. And even if he didn't have a hard and fast no druggies rule, he probably would have left immediately because what does that show? It shows kind of bad judgment. That it isn't something you say right away. That's something you wait to say after somebody's gotten to know you a little bit and they have some sense of whether you are still using heroin or likely to start using heroin, if you're crazy or not. That's something you tell somebody a few months in, six months in, after some trust is established. And then they can weigh this thing in your past against the person that they know you to be now. Your dilemma is an easy one. You can't withhold this information forever. You couldn't be in a relationship with this person of many years standing knowing that just some relative could blurt this out, that this information could surface somehow. A friend could get drunk at a party and bring it up in a moment of viciousness or thoughtlessness and out you to him for having had a heroin problem. And at that moment, kablooey goes your relationship. This is something you say to him now and you say it to him with confidence and you say to him knowing that so many people out there are with people that they couldn't have imagined themselves with until they fell in love with that person. There are so many people out there who are partnered with kinky people that they love and if you'd asked them before they met that kinky person, they said, I would never date somebody kinky. So many people out there who are with people who do sex work, who would have told you before they met this particular sex worker, they could never date a sex worker. So many people out there who are partnered with people who are pause, who would have told you before they met this particular pause person and got to know and fell in love with this particular pause person, they never could have dated somebody who was pause. So don't underestimate him. Maybe he is as awesome as you say. And if he is as awesome as you say, when you tell him this fact about your past, he will reassess his prejudices. He will think about the things that he said to you that may have been hurtful. He will weigh his feelings about drugs versus his feelings about you and decide whether this is still true for him, that it's still true that he would never date somebody who had ever used drugs. Since he has been dating you, so tell him. You don't have a choice. You don't have a choice because your friends and family all know this about you. You really don't have a choice about disclosure. You must disclose. And if he runs screaming, good. You're well rid of him. As a former heroin addict, you can't be with someone who's that phobic about drugs. It wouldn't be healthy for you to be with someone who is judging you every day and condemning you every day. For something that you overcame, something you should be proud of, got mixed up in heroin and you beat it. Not a lot of people can say that. That speaks to your strength and your resiliency. And if he can't love you for that, if he can't love you for your history, including the ugly bits, he can't love you. He's not as awesome as you say he is. Hi, Dan. I am a 23-year-old lesbian living in Chicago. And I started seeing this girl a couple months ago and things got pretty serious pretty quickly. But I am also quickly realizing that I think she might still be in love with her ex-girlfriend. She moved here from Philadelphia in August, and they're still in very close contact over Facebook. And one night she got really drunk and told me that she missed her as a friend and that she feels like she is her person, which is the last thing you should be telling your new relationship. But I don't know exactly how to ask her or how to approach this situation. So I feel like you can't really come out and say, are you still in love with your ex-girlfriend being the new girlfriend and not sound like a crazy person, but it's legitimate concern. So if you could let me know, that would be great. I'm not a lesbian, but what I understand from the lesbians I know is that all lesbians remain perpetually in love with all of their ex-girlfriends eternally. 
So ruling her out because she still has feelings for her ex-girlfriend might be a bad idea. Because what are you going to get after you dump her? You're going to get some other lesbian who's got some other ex-girlfriends that she's still in love with. And is that really a problem that she may still have feelings for her ex-girlfriend if she's still in contact with her on a daily basis and it's unhealthy or distraction or not allowing your relationship perhaps to take root and grow and for you to become the love of her life because she's pouring all this emotional time and energy into her ex and then it's a problem. But truth commissioning her and cross-examining her and putting questions to her about the precise nature of her feelings for her ex will make you seem like a crazy person. So you don't do that. You keep your mouth shut. You date her. You be fun. You be a person that she maybe could fall in love with. And then if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You have to balance in a situation like this this fear that you might be wasting your time by making an emotional investment in someone who's not emotionally available with you with the reality of the fact that you're kind of auditioning to be the next girlfriend and perhaps the love of her life. And for whatever reason, this relationship with her ex, it didn't work out. Maybe that's where you could ask a few questions. Instead of asking, are you still in love with her, which sounds accusatory and psychotic, you say, tell me about your ex. Tell me about why that relationship ended. Then you're emphasizing, of course, that it's over. But then you're also going to hear the good and the bad. And I think it's a decent thing when somebody – you know, when a relationship ends and those two people stay friends and whatever it was that made them both realize that the relationship couldn't go on, that doesn't have to negate all the good qualities, all that was special about that relationship, all about that relationship that made either or both of them happy for as long as it made them happy and it's okay to let your girlfriend, your current girlfriend, grieve a little bit for what could have been with the ex and what's not in her life anymore because the ex isn't in her life anymore while you grow into the person and the relationship that compensates and supplants. Compensates for those feelings and supplants the ex-girlfriend and her affections. And one day she'll look at you and think, yeah, I'm a little bit sad about that relationship ending but if that relationship hadn't ended, I wouldn't be with this wonderful person. If you cross-examine her about her feelings for her ex, you'll never get to be that person that supplants those feelings for her ex. Invest a few more months and then make a judgment call about whether she seems crazily attached to her ex or whether she's coming off it and attaching to you. I'm a 30-year-old married woman. I've been married since 2009. And I have a question for you that I don't think you guys have ever addressed on the podcast before. I know you get a, a lot of calls from married people that – ask you about rekindling their their love life and sex life. But I don't think I've ever heard a call from anybody asking about just what do you do if you're not in love with your spouse anymore and your spouse doesn't love you. I had a long conversation with my husband last night where he basically told me that, you know, he since about a year into our marriage, he hasn't loved me. And, I mean, I've suspected it for a while uh, just by the way he treats me and acts and you know, and, and I guess what I'm wondering is we have one child together, a two-year-old, and I'm pregnant with another child who will be born in uh, one month. So, of course, we've had a lot of those, you know, young child-related stresses that take their toll on any marriage. But I'm just wondering, you know, we don't have sex anymore, and part of that's the pregnancy, uh, but part of it is just uh, I don't think he's attracted to me, and I'm not that attracted to him either. Uh, and, you know, in addition to that, you know, I feel like, Rekindling the sex life is definitely doable. You know, we could open up the relationship with the swingers clubs, etc. But what about if somebody doesn't love you and just doesn't have those feelings for you anymore? Is that uh, fixable? 
in a relationship or is it just impossible? And, you know, obviously we have all the motivation in the world to stay together since we have kids. I I just find myself feeling, you know, very depressed when I think about my marriage. I mean, you, you you know, you, you can of course think, Oh, I'm going to have sex tonight. I'm going to, you know, do this and that for my spouse. But if you feel like your spouse just doesn't love you or, or maybe even respect you as a person, where, where do you go from, from there? There are two questions that you guys got to toss on the table that go to the heart of whether you're going to stay together or not. Okay, you don't love each other. You're not sexually attracted to each other. That's gone. You know, that, that's been spoken aloud and that can't be – those things can't be unheard. So you need to ask, do we like each other? Can we be co-parents and companions? You know, our marriage has failed to live up to either of our expectations and that is depressing and it makes both of us sad. If we change our expectations, will our marriage be satisfactory? Will it be something that gives us, you know, a sense of place and belonging and companionship and will it make us happy if we change, you know, our notions about what we were getting out of this, what we're supposed to get out of this? There are a lot of people out there. I've written about this before who that companionate marriages or a lot of people out there in companionate marriages and nobody ever talks about it. You know, we overemphasize, I'm guilty myself, the importance of sex often in long-term relationships, sometimes in marriages. There are people who are married for reasons beyond we love fucking each other, that they enjoy each other's company, that they want to have a family, that they want to have a family with this person, that they respect this person, that this person is a good provider, this person is a good parent, that they work together well as a team as parents, that they can create a good and loving and pleasurable home life together. If all of that is working and they're not fucking, it's okay to call that a marriage. It's okay to call that even a successful marriage even if the sex isn't there. So you know, rather than talking about going to swing parties or somehow trying to revive or you know, recreate your shared sex life, I think what we should be talking about is can we stay together? Do we want to stay together with different expectations and demands on each other? Different expectations from what a marriage can be and different, making different demands. If you're not demanding sex from him and he's not expecting sex from you or demanding it from you in return, is everything else that you bring to the table – a value to him? Is everything else that he brings to the table a value to you? And you two together, are you greater than the sum of your parts? Is this family that you've created worth it? And maybe, you know, I don't think people have to be together for 60 years and one of them has to die for a marriage or a relationship to have been considered a success. Maybe this is a way you guys could live for the next seven years, eight years, 10 years until your kids are a little older to get through this small child place, which can be stressful and really hard to do alone and really hard to do as some sort of relay race where you're passing off infants and toddlers from his house to your house to his house to your house. That's really difficult. So maybe you can be in a companionate marriage and a successful one. There was just an obituary in the New York Times a few weeks ago about this Broadway producer who was married to this woman for 40 years and halfway through the obituary, oh, he's gay and she knew it when they got married and her only rule was don't embarrass me. She was some heiress to some fortune who had gotten out of a lousy marriage that made her unhappy and they were blissfully happy together. They were together for 40 years. Was that not a successful marriage even though they didn't fuck each other? That was a successful marriage, a successful companionate marriage. And you can have that kind of marriage maybe if it makes you both happy. So those two questions. Do we like each other? Do we want to stay together as co-parents and companions? If the answer to both those questions is yes – your marriage could be saved.
Hi, Dan. I am a 30-year-old woman, and I really, really, really hope that you can help me or give me some advice because I don't really know what to do. So about a year ago, I was in an abusive relationship, and I'm doing a lot better. I'm happy. He's gone, but it was terrible. I listen to your show a lot, and you say that some people are just going through something in an abusive relationship, and some of them are sociopaths. And this guy was a sociopath. And um, as a consequence of this relationship, he has some videotapes of me, and which he really coerced me, bullied me into doing. But my family is very conservative. Uh, they're conservative Christians, evangelicals. And throughout the course of our relationship, he would use this videotape to blackmail me, to little me to hurt me, to get me to do what he wanted. And um, I'm now going to law school. I'm going to an um, Ivy League law school. And um, I haven't heard from him since for a year. He broke up with me, thank goodness. But uh, he recently sent me a Facebook message and a friend request, and I haven't responded. And um, he didn't directly mention the video. But he said he wanted to see me and that he knew that I would want to see him too and that couldn't I put things under the bridge. And I'm just really scared that if I don't see him that he is going to use this video. He knows my family. I really don't want him to send it to my school. Oh, I hate that he is doing this to me. Um... I don't know what to do. I think you should tell your parents about him, about what he's done to you, about these videotapes. You can tell them that you did something stupid, that you did something you regret, that you did something that you know didn't live up to the values that were instilled in you by your family. Uh, but you're the victim here and they need to recognize that and see that. And this guy has held these tapes over your head for years and threatened to send them to your family. And so you want to get in front of it. And let them know about the existence of these tapes or this video, these digital videos, so that if he ever does email them to your parents, your parents know to delete them without looking at them, which they are capable of, right? My mother never read 20 pages of the kid that she asked me when the, the book came out that had a lot memoiry stuff about my teens and 20s. She said, is there anything in here I don't want to read because there are things a mother has a right not to know? And I said, you know what? Pages blank to blank, don't read those. And we tore them out of a book and gave them to her. She never read them because she didn't want to read them because she didn't want to know. And you should go to your parents and say, you know, this is common. Sex tapes happen. Uh, sometimes bad people do them. Sometimes good people do them. I'm a good person. I did one. It was a huge mistake. I'll never do it again. The real issue here though is this man is bullying me, threatening me, intimidating me with threats of sending them to you. And so I just want you to know that they exist and if you ever get an email from this guy, get an email that says X, Y, and Z that you should probably delete it. That's nothing you want to see or think about. And if your parents can't hear that and recognize that you are the victim in this situation, that you are the one who is being persecuted and if they can't recognize that and then refrain from shitting on you, guilting you, making it worse, you know, his threats to send these tapes to your parents are predicated on this assumption that your parents are assholes 
who will retaliate against you, who will be dicks to you if he violates you in this way, who will compound the emotional harm he's, he is inflicting on you at that moment by turning on you. I hope your parents aren't that shitty. And I would – if I were you, if I were in your shoes, I would put it to my parents just that way. You could even frame it in a positive way. He thinks that you're awful. He thinks that you would turn on me. He thinks that you would reject me. He thinks that if he did this, that you would be vicious to me because he's being vicious to me. And I know that you're not those people. I know that you're not going to do that. But I just wanted to clear the air and put this out there so that I don't have to live with this sword of Damocles hanging over my head. So I don't have to live under this cloud and this threat. And then after you say that to him, then you can decide what to do about his Facebook request. After you no longer have to live in fear of your parents knowing because your parents know. And not only do they know, they know not to look. They know not to – if they ever get a video in the mail or they ever get a, an enclosure in a mysterious email from some asshole outing you about it, they know to delete it without looking at it. There's stuff there that they're not going to be able to unsee and they don't want to watch. Right? As for your school, I'm sure this has come up before. This happens. People maliciously send dirty pictures, texts, videos. There are revenge porn sites out there. This happens. If he sends it to your school, I can't imagine that you will be thrown out of college for making a college-age person living in the modern world with all this digital media, with everybody having a porn production studio on their phone, mistake. And any school that would retaliate against a student who is the victim in that moment isn't a school that you want to have a degree from. And I can't imagine that if you're going to a decent university, if you're not going to some fuckwit Brigham Young Law School, Liberty University Law School kind of place, that they are going to retaliate against you. If you're going to a sane and secular or mainstream Christian school and this happens, the school is going to treat you like you were the one who was wrong, not that you were the one who did wrong, if the school has any sense. I, I wish I had more comforting things to say. This guy is an asshole and he's going to torture you and, and attempt to manipulate you and get under your skin for as long as he can. You know, If you feel that interacting with him a little bit online and exchanging messages is going to be all that he wants and he's not going to escalate and I doubt that, that very much – Abusers and people who annoy people and pester people and stalk people escalate if they're getting anything at all from their target. But if you think you can stall it till you're out of law school by giving him just enough, you can make that choice. I think that's the wrong choice. I think you should have nothing to do with him. I think you shouldn't respond to his Facebook profile. Most counselors, most people who work with people who are victims of domestic violence and stalking will tell you not to give them anything, not to respond to voicemails, friendship requests, anything. Don't even respond with a response about how you're not going to respond. Don't respond and say, I'm not going to talk to you. Just don't respond at all. And then if he pulls the trigger and uses the only thing he has to use against you, that those, those digital videos, those sex videos, damage is done and it's out. It's over. Then you can work. Then you can get through it and get past it. You, you can transfer to another school if your school treats you like you're the one who did wrong. You can start to heal the rift with your family if it creates a rift with your family. But at least then it's over and he can't threaten you with this shit anymore. Even it, it may haunt you. But you know what? There's a lot of people out there now who have digital images online, sexed images, dirty pictures online, dirty videos online. It is something going forward that many, many, many people will have to live with all their life. And I think the stigma is rapidly decreasing. Anthony Weiner. 
the disgraced, in quotes, I'm making little bunny ears on the sides of my microphone. Anthony Weiner, the disgraced congressman from New York, is working his way back into public life despite his dick pics now existing forever online. Um, there is a new standard emerging about this shit that this happens, happens to good people. People make mistakes when they're young. And you can't hold it against someone all their life. So buck up. Go to mom and dad. Feel out your university. See if this has happened before. Go to your student newspaper. Search. I bet it's happened before. See how the university responded. That might set you at ease. Thank God he's in another country. Advantage you. At least this person who's Facebook messaging you isn't living two dorm floors down or a few blocks away or an hour's drive from your house. You have to worry about him showing up on your doorstep. And finally, I don't want to, make, I don't want to say this in such a way where it sounds like I'm blaming you. You're giving him a lot of power or he has this power over you right now that you can steal from him by getting in front of it. Your fear of what he might do with these videos that you two made that you were coerced into making is paralyzing you. You're terrified. You can take that power from him. The worst thing he can do is share it with your parents. Send it to your parents. Your family finds out about it. You can take that away from him by telling your parents about it in such a way that guilts them into reacting positively and siding with you as the wronged party. And the power, you know, he might send it to your school. You can go to your school. You can steal all that power from him. You can neutralize this weapon that he thinks that he has. You can take all the bullets out of that gun by getting in front of it. This is something you did. It's something that happened. Tell your family. Tell your family about it. Let that – have that explosion now. Wouldn't it be better to have that explosion and get it over with than to live the rest of your life waiting for that explosion, worrying about it? Just get it over with and get it over without them ever seeing it, right? Just get it the fuck over with and stop stressing about it at your school. Everybody who's in college, everybody who's in high school, these pictures are out there. They have taken them. Everyone will be haunted by these pictures all their lives at some point. Almost all of us will have a dirty pic online somewhere that someone could send maliciously to someone else. And at that moment, it only has the power to wound you that you give it. Hey, Dan. It's Kate calling from Melbourne. Um, I have a question regarding oral sex, I guess. I think I know what you would say, but I just wanted to hear it from you anyway. I'm married. My husband does not like going down but quite enjoys getting blowjobs. Um, he says he'll do it if I want him to, but he's not really that into it. So, of course, I don't want him to because I can't imagine anything worse than making him do that when I know he doesn't like it. So my question is, I know it's unfair, but is that a deal breaker? I mean, is that something, if I have to live now for the rest of my life, with my husband knowing that I'll never get oral sex. Is that okay? I mean, is that something that I should accept or am I, am I a crazy bitch for thinking that this is a big deal? And what if I get an offer to get that from someone else? No strings attached, just, you know, just a bit of sex, a bit of oral sex, you know, which I absolutely love. Um, I would really appreciate your your thoughts. And please don't say dump the motherfucker already because I can't. I can't do that. It's my husband. 
He says he'll do it if you want. There be dragons, right? That the, A lot of people who have a sexual interest that their partner doesn't share, the partner will reluctantly agree to indulge them in whatever it is so that they're not miserable or deprived or because they want to be fair. But then they'll do it so unenthusiastically or so poorly – Perhaps because they can't do it well, uh, perhaps because it really does turn them off or I, I think often is the case. They do it poorly or unenthusiastically so that you'll stop asking for it. So you could go to your husband and say, you're going to eat my pussy. And actually, I do think that's what you should say. You want a blowjob? You're going to eat my pussy. You like oral? I like oral. Oral uh, is an acquired taste for most people. And you need to say to your husband, you're going to get busy and you're going to acquire that fucking taste. Particularly if you want me to keep blowing you, you're going to learn how to not just eat my pussy but like eating my pussy. And he's opened the door to that. He said he'll do it if you want him to and clearly you want him to. So tell him to fucking do it. That said, if he does it so poorly or unenthusiastically that it is a turnoff and after a good faith try of a year or two, you are just done having your pussy eaten inexpertly. And reluctantly, by your never going to acquire a taste for it husband, I think you should go to him and say, not I'm going to get it elsewhere. But you know, it is my – one of my favorite things. Just as blowjobs are one of your favorite things. So if I ever get an offer, if somebody ever comes along and says, I just want to eat your pussy, I don't know how I will be able to resist that offer. So I'm just saying. I'm not looking for it. I'm not going to take ads out. I'm not going to get a T-shirt that says, eat my pussy, ask me how and walk around. But should that moment ever come, if I'm not getting it from you, I don't think I'll be able to resist saying yes. And then see what he says. He may say, when that moment comes, I will understand. I will forgive you. If you weren't into blowing me, I would probably have the same weakness if the offer came along. And then you kind of have a pass going forward. And then if that offer comes, even if you actually – do walk around in a t-shirt that says eat my pussy, ask me how. You have a get out of infidelity divorce court free card in your back pocket. And this is – I get in trouble, right? The, the monogamy crowd is going to come screaming at me for this. So much of conflict in long-term relationships that can be so destabilizing in marriages is about this unmet need that can seem so trivial if it isn't your need that's going unmet. That destabilizes relationships. It makes people miserable. That makes them look at their partners with resentment. And it would just be so much better if you two could say, if really he can't acquire a taste for this, if you two could get to a point where he said and you said and you're both cool with it, that that isn't something I could ever do for you. And I, but I don't want you to live without that pleasure, that thing that you enjoy so much. So if you can get that elsewhere or somebody else can do that for you, I think that would be good. And then you can be with him without being miserable, without being deprived. It could be one of those instances where a little non-monogamy makes a marriage stronger, not weaker. Because right now, this unmet need that is eminently mutable, if not by your husband, then by somebody else, is making your marriage weaker. It's making you look at your husband differently than you might otherwise. Because he, instead of being the source of all your pleasure, being the person who makes shit happen for you, is the frustration, is the impediment. And that resentment will grow over time, particularly if you, he expects you to live without this for the next 50 fucking years. If I were your husband, if I were a woman married to a guy who was into like super kinky SM sex but I wasn't into it, or if I was your husband, I would just say, go ahead. Go see a dom. Go see a pro dom. 
get that you know get that get that need met by somebody else. Let's outsource that shit. And if I were your husband and I really couldn't eat pussy, and if I was your husband, I really couldn't eat pussy. If I was your husband and I couldn't eat pussy, I would say let's outsource that shit. I bet there's somebody out there who would adore eating your pussy. Let's find him or her. Hi, I am a 25-year-old on the West Coast. So I have a weird situation. I was kind of seeing a guy, and I just wasn't really truly feeling it. We hooked up a couple times. Uh, a few months later, or nine weeks later, found out that I was pregnant, and we, he was really great during the whole thing. I decided not to keep it. He was really supportive, you know, either way of what I decided. He was by my side the whole time. And... um it was great. And then it, we just decided not to start a relationship from there. He ended up dating a new girl, and he still insisted on seeing me. Not really insisting, but we were still hanging out, and I was kind of ignoring the fact he was with this new girl. But we were kind of intimate. And anyways, I kind of came to terms with, I don't want to be hanging out with you if you're with a girl, if you have a girlfriend. He has since still been trying to hang out with me. He's been trying to come up with, you know, fun things for us to do or calling me when he gets off work, wanting to come and cuddle. But he has a girlfriend. And it feels like something animalistic happened between us when um, I got pregnant and then later, you know, an abortion. But it feels like there's an animalistic bond between us. So even though he's, like, with this girl and he's happy, he still wants to be near me and wants to make sure I'm safe. And I don't understand it. It's fucking with my head because I don't know if I should move on or if I should just... I feel like a sideshow at this point, and I want to move on, but something's keeping me from doing that, and I just need help figuring out what is going on. You went through a traumatic experience together, and now I'm going to pause for a second and say that not all people, not all women who get abortions experience them as traumatic, but some do, that it can be tough and it can be really hard. And I've had friends who have been on both sides of that divide where an abortion felt like absolutely the right thing to do and they had no conflict about it and no experience, no trauma, felt no guilt. And I've had friends who abortion was absolutely the right thing to do. It was a choice they needed to make. It was a choice they were grateful they could make and yet they had a lot of regret and experienced it as a bit of a trauma. You seem to have fallen into that category, that side of that divide over the abortion experience. And he was there for you and you guys bonded emotionally during that experience. And so you have this kind of lingering, you know, affection and bond. And you guys need to break that bond if you are not going to be together. So I don't know what his deal is around calling you and wanting to hang out with you and, and wanting to cuddle with you while he has a girlfriend of his own. Maybe he thinks you're very weak right now and vulnerable and needy emotionally and he's being kind. Or maybe for some selfish reason he wants to keep his hooks in you. But you need to tell him, hey, really appreciated you being stand-up while we got through the abortion and you've been really kind to me. But now it's time for you to fuck off and go away so that I can really be done with this and be over it and move on with my life. And I can't move on with my life if you're cuddling me while you're involved with somebody else. Maybe in the future, if I, if you're single and I'm single, we can cuddle with some purpose again. But right now, it ain't good for me to be cuddled by my ex-boyfriend who was great during that abortion but now has another girlfriend of his own and he needs to fuck off and leave me alone so I can meet other people who want to cuddle me. Hi, Dan. I'm a middle-aged woman living on the East Coast. Um, in a happy 
monogamish marriage. A couple of years ago, my husband was very busy, and he gave me permission to go out and find somebody. And so I went on Ashley Madison and was very open about the fact that I'm married. Um, I had a primary partner. I just wanted to mess around with somebody else who also had a primary partner so that I wouldn't run any really big ethical or emotional risks. And after a month of searching, I did find somebody who was really awesome. He was someone who had uh, had to work on the East Coast for about a year and had permission from his wife that while he was on the East Coast, he could have a partner with the understanding that when he went back to the West Coast after a year, um, they would pick up where they left off. So I had a year of a really great time with someone that I now consider to be a good friend. He was, you know, here on the East Coast for a year. I visit, you know, about once a week. We have a really good time. I go back to my husband. My husband was cool with it. Everything was great. I thought that he had permission because he told me he had permission. And when he left for the West Coast to pick back up his life, um, we remained pretty good friends by text and email. Maybe once every few months, we just drop each other a text or a note when we saw something uh, that would interest the other person. And it was all friendly and it was all good until today when I got a kind of frantic email from him saying, do not ever contact me again. Evidently, his wife had seen a text from me that was about a month old um, where we had just texted back and forth, nothing really saucy or hot, just a brief conversation. And it blew up in his face. I guess he thought he had permission, but it wasn't clear enough to her, or she just found out that he had had this year-long affair out here on the East Coast. I don't know, but the text of the email was like, don't ever contact me again. And my my wife might try to call you. Don't talk to her if she calls you, et cetera, et cetera. And I am understandably pissed. I kind of want to talk to her if she calls, but I also know that this might be a really bad idea. And, you know, I don't want to mess things up for him. And I don't know the real situation. You know, maybe he had permission. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he's just a cheating piece of shit. I don't know. But I'm also really, really mad at him because... I was specifically looking for someone else that had permission, and I don't know if he did. And, of course, I can't call him and be like, what the fuck? Do I talk to her if she calls me? Is that a really bad idea? Do I email her back if she emails me? I'd really appreciate your advice. This is frequently a problem in Ashley Madison or open relationships when people who are in the situation that you were in, who are doing everything right, the husband gave you the past and said, please, if you need to find somebody else on the side right now, you have my blessing and uh, you should go do that. And you went out and tried to find somebody who was in the exact same situation and you thought you did. This guy told you that his wife had given him permission and now the shit has hit the fan and we're faced with two possible options here for, for, what, for what went down on the West Coast. He thought he had permission. His wife said something that led him to believe erroneously that he had her permission to fuck somebody else for a year while he was on the East Coast. I don't know what that thing she said could be. Usually these aren't conversations that are vague or easily misinterpreted. When you're spouse gives you permission to fuck other people, it's usually pretty explicit and hard to misunderstand. So it's either that, she said something that led him to believe that he had her permission but he didn't, or he lied to you. 
If you had to choose between those options, which was likelier, Occam's razor, lied to you, is much likelier what went down. He was on the East Coast for a year. He wasn't going to get laid for a year. Playing the good guy got him into your pants. Pretending that it was all on the up and up got him into your pants, right? Got him probably more hits than him saying, I'm a lying dirtbag because that turns some women off. Hey, I'm a lying dirtbag. I'm cheating on my wife. A lot of women, you included, don't want to be a party to that, to hurting someone, to being the tool that is used to hurt someone. Before I tell you what to do, let's just talk about this, this, this problem for a while. You know, some people go out there, they meet somebody, they say, I'm in you know, an open relationship but my partner and I have a don't ask, don't tell agreement where we're allowed to do whatever but the other doesn't want to hear about it. So you can't actually call. You can't verify it. You have to take a leap of faith. You have to trust that the person that you're interacting with is telling the truth because if they have a don't ask, don't tell policy, you're calling or ringing or dropping by to make sure is telling and the partner doesn't want to know. And that is often, I think, particularly in heterosexual monogamous relationships, that's often the deal. Do what you're going to do. I don't want to hear about it. So there's no way for the third party to verify. So you have to take that leap of faith. You have to really trust that person. And a lot of dirtbags fly under that don't ask, don't tell policy colors when they don't – it's not don't ask, don't tell. It's just cheating piece of shit, right? That doesn't want to admit that they're a cheating piece of shit. That doesn't want to be honest about how they're being dishonest. So you have to trust your own judgment. You have to suss people out. You have to get a feel for it. You have to draw them out about the circumstances. You have to listen to them. If you want to you know, do your due diligence and make sure as best you can that you're not aiding and abetting a cheating piece of shit. But sometimes you will – maybe thinking with your crotch, you will make the wrong call in the end. Dickful thinking or twatful thinking because you want to fuck that person and they're saying don't ask, don't tell and even if it sounds a little fishy, you just kind of trust and go with it and you get the sex that you want. It's a problem. Monogamous relationships, those are easy. That's simple. Those two people don't fuck other people. Open relationships, non-monogamous relationships, those are fucking complicated because there's a million different ways to do it. A million different deals, rules, relationship models when you are not monogamous. It can get complicated. It can get complicated for the third, for the extras, for the very special guest stars. Anyway, what do you do if the wife calls? I don't think you owe him anything. I don't think that you answer to him. I think that you were misled. You were violated. I shouldn't put it this way because I will get then yelled at for not telling you to call the police. But he kind of had sex with you for a year without your consent. He, he obtained your consent under false pretenses. And so you have a right to be angry at him and I don't think you owe him anything or answer to him. If his wife calls you because she wants to know what happened and what you were told and what was going on and she's not abusive to you. She doesn't treat you like you're the baddie because you're misled too. I think you should answer her questions. Often when there's an affair, the party who was cheated on wants to know the whole truth and you know this guy's a liar. He lied to you most likely. Occam's razor lied to you most likely. And she may not be able to work past it. She may not be able to forgive him until she gets all the answers, until she knows the truth, until she talks to you because he is no doubt, if he lied to you, now lying to her about what went down. So if I were in your shoes, if I had been used the way you have been used most likely and I had had sex with some dude for a year under false pretenses, my consent having been obtained under false pretenses, if the wronged party called me, I would – talk to that person. I would feel some sympathy for that person. I would apologize for my role in hurting that person 
while also mentioning that that wasn't my intention and I didn't believe that I was hurting that person. So the wife calls. I think you should talk to her. And let this be a lesson. I actually ran a letter once in the column. Let this be a lesson to all of you out there who are going to have that affair and then put a, you know, put a cap on it. Somebody wrote in once that his affair worked out, four-year affair, while his wife was for some reason completely libidoless. And when her libido roared back, they picked back up and he ended his four-year affair and they shook hands and parted. And the reason that his affair was successful, by which he meant he got away with it and nobody was hurt and his wife never found out, was they never exchanged a text message and they didn't call. And after it was over, after the affair was ended, they said, thank you and goodbye. That was great. And they didn't stay in touch. The mistake you two made, obviously, the mistake he made was staying in touch. Hi, I am a 31-year-old straight female and I'm calling about balls. So um, yesterday, a guy messaged me on an online dating website and he said, hey, um, have you ever kicked anybody in balls? And my response was kind of like, you know, ha ha, like, no, I've never kicked anybody in balls. Why? Do you want me to kick you in the balls? And he was like, yeah, I do. And so um, I just got home from going to a park and kicking the man in the balls. And it was exhilarating, not going to lie. So on my way home, I called my friend and I was like, oh, man, like you never even believe what I just did. I just kicked some guy in the balls. And so he is a gay man and he, he says, oh, I don't know if that's such a good idea for you to be going around kicking people in the balls. And basically, he says that I need to make sure that legally there's nothing this guy can do in case he gets hurt. And also, he said that there is all of these possibilities, and he starts like naming off all these things that could possibly happen. He basically scares the shit out of me. And so I want to see this guy again. I don't, I mean, not like the dating or anything, but it was kind of fun to kick him in the balls, and I kind of want to do it again. And um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on this about whether I should continue to kick him in the balls because it sounds like he wants me to kick him in the balls pretty hard. And I just really want to make sure that there's not a chance that I could actually hurt him because I don't want to hurt him. Is there anything I should do to cover my ass basically to make sure that he can't sue me if I do kick him and he gets hurt? Hey, it's Dan Savage. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Have you kicked anyone in the balls today? Um, I've considered it, but um, I've, I've refrained. <laughs> how do I want to know? First of all, just to back up a little bit, how this played out exactly? You know, I don't know what what are you comfortable telling us which dating website this was where the guy just popped this question? Have you ever kicked anyone in the balls? Um, well, it was it was OkCupid, and um, I actually get a lot of really weird questions on OkCupid. So it wasn't really that surprising for me, uh-huh. but um, like I get a I get a lot of propositions for sex on OKCupid for some reason. I don't know, like it must be something in my profile. But this was the first, and um, he just sent me a message, and it was one line, and all it said was, "Have you ever kicked anyone in the balls?" And, and wait, I would I would have put my money on Christian single, but okay, OKCupid. Yeah, so I know, right? <laughs> did you you click through and you looked at him, and he seemed to be somebody. That was at least that attractive, at least attractive enough to draw you into a park in the middle of the day to kick him in the balls? I mean, his picture was, you know, cute enough. I mean, mostly I was honestly, mostly I was just like intrigued. And I like kind of mostly joking was like, no, why do you want me to kick you in the balls? And his response was basically like, yeah, would okay. you? And how did you arrange this? And did you feel safe? You you went to a public place and were there people around and you, you just <laughs> hauled off? and Yeah. 
nailed him in the nuts? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, well, because, like, we, like, exchanged a few messages over, like, two days maybe. And um, I, like, eventually, like, we were just like, well, like, I guess I'm going to kick you in the balls. We should just go ahead and do it. Uh-huh. And uh, so I was like, well, you know, like, I don't really feel safe, like, meeting you somewhere that's, like, too private. So, like, we should at least, like, meet in public somewhere. Pause here for a moment to praise you for that impulse. If you're going to meet somebody for an online hookup, that you're going to do something risky, you're going to take a little walk on the wild side, always meet in a public place first or in a public place only. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never meet anybody anywhere besides in public places. Okay. So, so And I've been, I've been doing this role for a while. Not, like, kicking people in balls, but, you know, I've been going online dating for a while so mm-hmm. but um so we decided on um there's a, a park like right along the river where i live and so we decided to meet in that park and so it's usually pretty well populated and it's starting to get warm so there's a ton of people and so i felt pretty safe so we met there and we like talked for like an hour just like and you know he, and okay you talked for an hour what did he tell you about this and, and what he wanted um well he basically told me that um it was just something that, like, he's always kind of been into, and he likes the way it feels, and, mm-hmm. you know, he can't find a girl who's willing to actually kick him hard, but um, he's had girlfriends, like, kick him before, but, like, none of them really want to kick him too hard, and I was like, I don't know you, like, I'll kick you as hard as you want me to, <laughs> as hard as I can. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I got no stake in his balls. And so, um, so he, he seemed to be a little bit like, uh, confused by that, I guess. Um, cause I guess I was weird and I mean, I really didn't care. Wait, you two, it sounds like you two should get married. It sounds like this is a match. <laughs> this is a match made know, in right? ball kicking heaven. I know. And I, and I was, I was like, I don't ever want to have kids. So like, I'll kick you in the balls and so, you know, until whatever, you're, it doesn't until matter. You're um, yeah. <laughs> so, so at the just put us in that moment. Like, you go off to a, like a semi-private little spot in the park, or are there people around? And you look at him, and he looks at you, and you just pick up your foot and kaplooey. Well, well. So we we talked for like an hour, and I had somewhere to be, and so I was like, "Well, I gotta go." So if you want to do this, like, we should probably like find somewhere to do it now. And so like we kind of like looked around, and we found this spot like underneath of a bridge behind a wall where like nobody could really see us, but we we're still like. We weren't that far from other people. Like somebody actually, I kicked him three times. And the third time when I kicked him, somebody actually, a runner came like running around the corner. <laughs> and you and you looked at him and said, keep running or you're next. <laughs> well, I kind of like made a face. And then um, the guy who I've been fondly referring to as Ballbuster. Uh-huh. So Ballbuster like looked at me and he goes, oh my God, I know that guy. And I was like, what? Technically, you're the ball buster. He's the ball busty. In that <laughs> know, scenario. Right? <laughs> so where did you leave it? Did you did you step over him crumpled up on the ground? Or did you guys walk out of that little private spot as as be- new best friends? <laughs> I mean, he surprisingly, like I thought that I kicked him pretty hard, but and I didn't, I didn't kick him full force because I was concentrating on aiming because, you know, you don't kick people on the balls all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not like a, you know, athletic sort of person necessarily. So I don't like run around kicking things. And so I was concentrating mostly on aiming. And so I didn't kick him too terribly hard. And so he mostly just went and he didn't seem to think that I kicked him that hard. And so he wants me to kick him again. So 
but he he was standing when we walked away. He was standing when he walked away. Then you didn't do your job. <laughs> well, well, we left, we left together, and like at the end of the whole thing, like he gave me a hug, and we went on our way. Okay, so you did a little little post ball busting aftercare. You were you were kind yeah. and gentle, and you gave him a little hug, and you said, yeah. "Next time, I'm really he, gonna bust them." Yeah, and he and you know, like as soon as it was over, he was like, you know, like how do you feel? Like you know, does that make you feel uncomfortable? Like are you you know are you traumatized by that? He was he was very caring as well. Well, that's awesome. This is a beautiful, beautiful story of two people coming together who could only be brought together by the internet. This isn't the question you just toss out at someone in a bar or someone at work and the internet brought you guys together and you had this beautiful experience and traumatized one runner, but fuck that runner. And now what do you do? Because you told your gay friend about it and he's like, oh my God, liability, liability, liability. Is your gay friend a lawyer or something? No, he's a man. He's a man. I I guess. (laughs) Because (laughs) I think mostly he's concerned about the liability issue. You know, like he doesn't want me to get in trouble, but he's also concerned about this guy's like, you know, well-being. Or is processing his squeamishness about what you did through liability, you know, masking his squeamishness and concerns about liability and your legal risks. You know, personal injury yeah. lawsuits are a real thing. And you can actually, you know, there's a big sort of moral panic a few years ago about ball tapping, which is where high school boys were taking little videos of themselves sneaking up on a friend and slapping him in the nuts and the guy would double over and they were putting those on YouTube and it was this little panic because a couple of kids got slapped so hard they had ruptured testicles. One kid, according to ABC News, lost a testicle. So it is possible to permanently damage someone. That said, you know, there's a – if you want to see what balls can take – and I'm not telling you how I stumbled across this site but I look at everything. Shotgun videos is a ball torture site. And you, you see what happens there and you go, how is it that somebody got slapped in the nuts and died or their testicle exploded when these guys have their balls in vices and are getting punched and shit? So balls can take a lot but balls can also take that one hit that really damages them. Also, punching or hitting uh, erectile tissues, like if you miss and you get him right square in the dick, that there's a relationship between that kind of trauma and Peyronie's disease, I believe is how you say it, Peyronie's disease, which is, you know, the dick becomes, scar tissue builds up in the erectile tissues and then the dick can't, you know, a guy can't get erect without it being very painful. Um, they get like a kink or a twist in their dick. So if you're going to do that kind of punch in the nuts thing, make sure you're doing a punch in the nuts. Don't punch a guy in the cock because those tissues are very easily damaged and that damage can. So I should result. do some, some target practice. You should do some target practice if you're going to do this again. However, you know, there is something – people used to talk about safe, sane and consensual. That's what kink had to be. It had to be safe, sane and consensual. But there are people out there who are kinksters who wanted to do things that were by anyone's estimation a little unsafe as you would see at perhaps shotgun video. Pretty unsafe. And, and so there's a new acronym, a new thing that gets tossed around out there in kinkland which is called – Risk-aware consensual kink or RAC, risk-aware consensual kink. And I think you could protect yourself from any potential liability and any potential lawsuit. doesn't mean he couldn't bring one if he wanted to but you would be – you would have some cause, some case. If you just make sure you have a long conversation with him via email about what he wants, about whether he's cognizant of the risks and what you're willing to do for him – and then you have it on paper. Then you have something you can print out and hand to a lawyer if he decides to fuck with you. But I can't imagine he would decide to fuck with you. That said, I am not a lawyer. If there are lawyers out there listening, if you want to give this woman some 
you know, legal advice on my show. Give us a call and walk us through the potential liability of a volunteer ball buster getting together with a victim uh, and giving his nuts a whack. But balls can take it. It's just every once in a while somebody hits a ball and just precisely the wrong way and apparently it shatters. So you got to be careful. But he's got a spare. He's got two. I mean, really. And I mean, it sounds like he's been getting hit in the balls a lot. I mean, like not like a lot like lately. He actually said that it's really hard to find somebody who will do it. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like he's gotten, you know, because I guess he had told me that he used to date um, a dom and that she was that her specialty was ball busting. Uh huh. He should have married that woman. I I was like, oh man, maybe I should be charging you for this. <laughs> so, are you gonna? Have you heard from him since this this encounter? Um, yeah, we we've talked a little bit since, and um, we'll probably meet up again in the next couple of weeks. But um, it kind of sounds like the three swift kicks that I gave him are holding him over for a long time. So, um, <laughs> well, you did something right. I've always been of the mind that you try everything once, and if you don't like it, you don't have to do it again. And so to all those women out there who have never kicked a man square in the nuts once, much less three times, what's it like? What do they need to know? What would you tell your sisters in ladyhood about kicking a guy in the balls? How was it for you? Well, at first it was really scary because I thought for sure that he was going to like, you know, be in a lot of pain. But then when he seemed okay, like it was actually a lot of fun. And I want to continue to kick him in the balls over and over again. I'm kind of addicted to it now. Just him or any dude? I think mostly it was fun for me because it was consensual and he was okay with it and he seemed to be getting a lot of pleasure out of it. And so I think that that was mostly what I was enjoying about it was that he seemed to be enjoying it. You're not a danger to testicles everywhere. <laughs> no, I'm not going to run around just kicking people in the balls. <laughs> Although, um, Although, I mean, unless 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 more people ask me, I mean, you know, if there's anybody who wants me to kick them in the balls, I'll do it. You know, I've discovered I like it. I'm into it. Just get on OK Cupid. And that was a friend of mine. She said, you know, what what you know, what are you going to do after this? And I was like, or no, she said, what, why why are you going to do this? And I was like, I don't know, you know, you never know. I might be into kicking balls. And so it turns out I am. Well, good for you. Kicking balls. Little journey, <laughs> a little journey of self-discovery to that park. That exactly. That's what that was. Every day. You should write a story about it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> that, that's what's been said about my love life in general. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for jumping on the phone with us and good luck. And uh, hopefully next week we'll have some legal advice from you from actual lawyers. Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. Well, thanks for so much for calling me. Sure thing. Bye. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm calling because I just listened to this week's podcast, um, number 343. And uh, I just wanted to call and say that thank you for the shout-out to Soviet Jews because I am one of those Soviet-era Jews that got to leave <laughs> what's now Ukraine. It wasn't Ukraine when we lived there. Um, and I grew up in Massachusetts, and thanks to people like you and your church and so many other people in America who lobbied for us uh, to get out, <laughs> hearing that on your podcast, which I've listened to for so many years, was amazing because we've been in this country for 25 years, and my existence here is so much better than anything it could have been as a Jew in Ukraine. It's only now that I'm realizing how much uh, America and American Jews and American Jews uh, fought to get us out. Um, and it wasn't something I realized growing up, and it's only been in the last five years that I've met people who are like, oh, yeah, my parents would send books and clothes to Jews in Europe, and 
Um, anyway, just to hear it on your podcast uh, really made me smile. So thanks for the support. Um, keep up the great work. <laughs> uh, and thanks a lot. Hey, Dan. I just caught episode 343. I was a little surprised you didn't call out the obvious in your fully justified rant about the persecution of Caitlin Hunt. I think it's time to skip the vacation in Miami. Time to take a pass on Disney World. I know Disney does pretty well by gays and lesbians, but they swing a lot of weight in Florida. Let them know they need to swing some of it on behalf of that poor little girl. Time to leave the Florida oranges on the supermarket shelf. Time to stop using our disposable income to subsidize bigots. If some of the powers that be down there take a hit in the pocketbook, they'll rain and swine like that DA pretty fast. Keep up the good work. Hey, Dan. This is the unicorn you spoke to earlier this week. I wanted to let you know that I just got a thank you note from the couple. They waited almost a week, which is actually not that bad compared to some guys I've dated. Anyway, I'm feeling much more at ease now. Uh, Thanks again, Dan. And we're going to leave it there. A quick note for Magnum listeners, if you have the Savage Love app, be sure to update it because you can now listen to the shows you've purchased on the app. If you don't yet have the Savage Love app, it's $1.99 at the iTunes store. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, please do give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. My new book, American Savage, is in bookstores now as of May 28th. Buy it and look for me. I may be coming to a bookstore near you soon to read and sign and run my fool mouth. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy too. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.